news networks are not even getting clicks like that. So this shows like there's an opportunity for this, what we're doing here on this show. Catholic writing books about Jews, Nazis and Israel. My mother was born in Ireland and she had an explanation. She said there was an ancient Irish legend that the Irish are the lost tribe of Israel. My dad shook his head and said, John, it couldn't possibly be true that we're related because the Jews can't drink and the Irish can't cook. I also think it is interesting the dimension that he's Irish. That, you know, that's, you know, um, but it looks like he's trying to look out for the Jews. Um, but he's also kind of like, okay, he's kind of like an outsider, you know what I'm saying? Like, as far as he's comfortable enough to say some of this stuff, I think that being Irish is part of that. My association is much more mundane. I was a young, ambitious lawyer. I had a great job. I worked for the Attorney General of the United States. And President Carter asked us for volunteers among the Justice Department lawyers to set up a new task force to investigate whether there were any Nazis hiding in America. Now, since I knew absolutely nothing about the subject, I, of course, immediately volunteered. Nazis in America? They, they was wondering if there were Nazis in America. Why would they think that? Well, I thought it would look good on my resume. I thought I might get a free trip to Germany out of it. Instead, my boss discovered that I had some intelligence training when I was an army officer. Although everyone thinks military intelligence is a contradiction in terms. Nevertheless, that was the qualification that got me the most unusual job in the U.S. government. They raised my security clearances many levels above top secret. My job was to go through all the CIA and NATO intelligence archives for several years to see if I could find any clues to where there might be Nazis hiding in America. Well, I never did get my free trip to Germany. Instead, I got lots of free trips to Suitland, Maryland. Now, Suitland is a nice little town. It's right outside Washington, D.C. And Suitland is where the U.S. government buries its secrets, literally. There are 20 storage vaults underground. <clears throat> Each vault is one acre in size. Have you ever seen the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark? Well, the last scene of that movie is what the underground vaults are really like, only not as organized I have to as they are in the movie. Well, and being right. a typical man, I didn't always stop and ask for direction. All right. My head yeah. is dying. Uh, Bertha did. All right. But I'm, I'll be listening so I can, All right. you know, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So um, vaults. Uh, what do you say, Maryland? So it's like Suitland, Maryland. Suitland, Maryland. And then he said each each one is like an acre or whatever. I couldn't imagine yeah. how big this. Dude, you think about it. it's twenty of them buried underground. They're an acre. They're an acre in size a piece. And do you realize how big an acre? If you take a house, I know, I know what an acre is. An acre. It's fucking big as fuck. Yeah, my, my people had acres, so that's how I. I, I, I but I, I, my mind can't imagine. What did he say? Twenty of them. Mm -hmm. Twenty of them, one acre in size. Yeah, man, I can't. My brain can't wrap that. I can't. You know, that's a large space. That's a large space right there, full of files. Damn, man, imagine what's in there. Yeah, you may go in there and find yourself in that motherfucker. <laughs> a, 
a file on a file on <laughs> your government name. You just you be like, let me look myself up, and then you go find a file with your name on it. And you like, what the fuck? Shit, never know. It may tell who you were before you. <laughs> tell you information about you you didn't even know about you. Yeah. I wonder that when he said that I, I tried to imagine how big that space was and I tried to imagine because it's like okay you're going to have file cabinets or something right and then it's going to mm -hmm. be like it's not going to be low ceilings probably they probably got ladders I've been in libraries I'm a library person so I know how libraries are so I can only imagine that it would be like in a, a library so then it was going to have stacks of fucking uh, those damn cabinets or whatever you want to call them probably going up high because yeah. you know they're not going to have low ceilings. So then that means you're going to probably have ladders and whatever lifts in there for you to use to search. So but then, damn, so you got stacked and stacked and stacks of fucking cabinets, 20 acres why? Yeah, yeah. Try to imagine how much data that is. Like yeah. all top secret shit that can't nobody nobody really has access to. Imagine what's in there, bro. Man, I'd want imagine just trying to get to that motherfucker. How heavily guarded it probably is. Yeah, ain't no way in hell you get in there. You die first. Only way you get in there is if you got clearance. Um, uh, what was I gonna say? The president uh, probably doesn't even have clearance to that shit, bro. Yeah, you know who knows who got clearance and who doesn't. You gotta have high level clearance. Otherwise, you're not getting in. They don't give a fuck. Your badge need to be able to scan into this fucking room. <laughs> Are you not coming in? It ain't no if ands or buts. Um, uh, what was I gonna say? He said, "Find stuff about our heritage." Um, I wonder. I think I would look up something like Patrice Lumumba, Muammar Gaddafi. I would look up the Black Panthers. You know what I'm saying? If I was able to get in that room or whatever. Dude, you know, that room right there probably has secrets of everybody that has been killed on a government initiative. And why were they killed? And it would probably give you absolutely nothing leading up to why they should have been killed. It just been collusion and conspiracy. Because, because, because you know... They lay down the facts because, see, like CIA, they need to know what actually fucking happened. You know what I'm saying? That's the way intelligence works because that's the whole point of intelligence is knowing what actually literally happened. That way you can, you know, make more plans, make moves for the future, da 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 da, da, da. So they need to, you know, in those files are going to be what actually happened. You know what I'm saying? It might not be like, oh, we wanted to kill that nigga because of whatever the hell the hell. It's not going to say that. It's just going to say what the hell happened. Exactly for real what happened. Yeah. Man, I'd love to see some of that shit. Let me play some more of this. Oh, shit. What did I do? And uh, one day I got really lost and ended up all the way down in the Q vault where our nuclear warfare documents are stored. And inside the nuclear vault, I stumbled across a group of Nazi files, files that I wasn't supposed to see. 
files that no one was supposed to see until the year 2015. And I discovered, much to my embarrassment, that many of the Nazis that I had been assigned to prosecute were already on the government payroll. Mm. It was one of those Cold War operations that got all messed up. The British Secret Service had a private meeting with a few chaps from our State Department intelligence. And the British said, look, the Germans are defeated now, the Russians are the new enemy. We have to get ready for World War III. And the British were going to recruit people from all across Eastern Europe, secretly bring them to America for training, and send them back behind the Iron Curtain as freedom fighters. So that if World War III ever erupted, we would have an underground army of freedom fighters behind Russian lines. Now, the only problem with the whole freedom fighter project was that the chap in charge of it in Britain was named Kim Philby. Oh, I see some of you get the joke already. Kim Philby, we discovered to our horror years later, Kim Philby was the highest ranking communist spy ever to infiltrate the British Secret Service. So naturally, Kim Philby was following his orders from Moscow. He wasn't sending anti-communists to America. He was sending us the dregs of the Nazi war criminals of Eastern Europe. And our State Department was too stupid and too gullible to realize they were being conned. Until finally, when Philby showed up at a press conference in Moscow in 1963, our bureaucrats do what all good bureaucrats do. They buried their mistakes. They hadn't told the CIA or the President or Congress what the State Department had done. Now, the State Department couldn't destroy all the top-secret Nazi documents because it literally takes too much paperwork to destroy a top-secret file. He's dropping little nuggets like crazy. Um, damn, hold on. I forgot what I was going to say. Um... Uh, hold on. Oh, the double spy. That guy was a double spy. You know, I used to read a lot of spy novels and shit like that. Let me close this. Give me a second, because something is crazy going on. Um, yeah, I used to love to read spy novels and shit. I was into that shit, you know? And so the idea of the double agent is like, you know, every spy novel has a double agent in it and you don't know who that person is until later you know what i mean and it's the craziest thing when you got somebody who's working like let's say let's say they're working with the state department of the united states but they're a russian agent you know what i'm saying and they're really working they're taking their orders from moscow like the guy was saying in the video like you know but, but 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 that you know the spy novels aren't real that this is real life y'all get what i'm saying um yeah. yeah it's just interesting to me that you know that could be a real thing you know and you would you would just think that you know that the cia or the state department or whatever they would know if somebody was 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 a plant was planning you know what i mean yeah. You would you would think because we you know we have faith in our even though we could say we don't like them or you could say whatever you wanted to about the CIA FBI the State Department but most of us feel like they you know there's a lot of smart people that work over there <laughs> that's how I feel the smartest people get those jobs these are not dumbasses you're not gonna get a job working as a spook. And be a dumbass. It's not gonna happen. Nobody that yeah. works in the department so is a dumbass. You'd be surprised though. You'd be surprised how many motherfuckers they probably hire 
that are true dumbasses, but you know. I don't think so. I don't think so. I really don't. But that just shows how, like, you know, spy versus spy, how complex all of this shit is. You know what I mean? You know, you got a, a room full of really smart people, and they don't know one of the guys that's in there is, is a double agent. He wasn't sending anti-communists to America. He was sending us the dregs of the Nazi war criminals of Eastern Europe. And our State Department was too stupid and too gullible to realize they were being conned. Until finally, when Philby showed up at a press conference in Moscow in 1963, our bureaucrats do what all good bureaucrats do. They buried their mistakes. They hadn't told the CIA or the President or Congress what the State Department had done. Now, the State Department couldn't destroy all the top-secret Nazi documents because it literally takes too much paperwork to destroy a top-secret file. But you can misfile them. See, that That's was why a all the Nazi files ended up down in the nuclear vaults, where no one was supposed to find them until I was. That was a nugget when he said, "You know, you have it takes more paperwork to destroy the stuff." You know what I'm saying? That was a nugget right there. So it's kind of like basically what you have to try to understand is that the data is out there for everything that happened. You know what I'm saying? The data is yeah. there. It's just classified. Stupid enough to stumble across them some four decades later. I looked at some of the famous American names who had been innocently involved with this Freedom Fighter project. I knew it would be a huge scandal, but... Uh, Wait, let me take it back because I chopped him up. So this is the part me and Pat was talking about a little bit earlier, how he can just randomly found these files. But you can misfile them. That's why all the Nazi files ended up down in the nuclear vaults where no one was supposed to find them until I was stupid enough to stumble across them some four decades later. I looked at some of the famous American names who had been innocently involved with this Freedom Fighter project. I knew it would be a huge scandal, but... Uh, Maybe I'm a thick-headed Irishman, but I figured that my dad's generation didn't fight World War II to make America safe for Nazi retirement. But I followed the law, I went to the CIA and the Pentagon, and I asked all the intelligence agencies for legal permission to go public. A lot of people may knock America, but you live in one of the few countries in the world that has the guts to admit its mistakes and correct them. And I was very, very proud of my country. The day the CIA called the Justice Department and said that I had permission to speak. Now, what do you do when you have a crazy story like this? Nazis in America. I pick up the phone and I call 60 Minutes. So, wait a minute. Let's back that up. I have permission to speak. And before that, he said, you know, you live in a country where there... They're willing to make up for their mistakes. What did he say? Let me play that again. They're willing to own up to their mistake and fix it. Go ahead. Yeah, you go back. Yeah, yeah. Well, since when? Since when do they do that? World War II to make America safe for Nazi retirement. But I followed the law. I went to the CIA and the Pentagon, and I asked all the intelligence agencies for legal permission to go public. Legal permission to go public with some classified information? That's a red flag. A lot of people may knock America, but you live in one of the few countries in the world that has the guts to admit its mistakes and correct them. Really? 
And I was very, very proud of my country. The day the CIA called the Justice Department and said that I had permission to speak. Now, what do you do when you have a crazy story like this? Nazis in America. I pick up the phone and I call 60 Minutes. We had a great time. Mike Wallace gave me 30 minutes on his show. It's the longest segment that 60 Minutes has ever done. And when the episode about Nazis in America went on the air back in 1982, it caused a minor national uproar. Congress demanded hearings. Mike Wallace got the Emmy Award. My family got the death threats. It was a great trade-off. But I figured I'd done my Boy Scout duty. I left Washington and I... How lightly he said my family got death threats I, kind of stuck out to me, too. And I'm sure he's not lying about that. But his lightheartedness about the subject is is uh, is kind of strange to me. I went back and joined the largest corporate law firm in Boston. Time to get on with my life. Then a funny thing happened. It seemed as if every retired intelligence agent in NATO started showing up at my law firm. They all had these wonderful stories to tell it because I, I guess there weren't many lawyers running around who had had SI and cosmic security clearances. So the deal is they could talk to me anonymously under the attorney private client privilege, but my legal requirements are every book I write has to be submitted first for censorship to the intelligence community. Every book he writes has to be submitted to the for censorship through the intelligence community. So um, this is interesting. So at working in a law firm, these people who have been, these are ex, ex CIA like types, ex spooks. They get to come to him and tell him stories of stuff that they wanted to get off their chest that they don't have nowhere else. They legally can't do it like, and probably will be killed for it. Um, so, you know, they get to come to him and tell them under like a not, anonymity. And then he submits his writings back to the CIA. They take out what they don't want or whatever, or maybe change it up a bit, and then it can be published. Y'all understand? Uh-huh. So I was a safe middleman for many men and women in the intelligence community who wanted to be whistleblowers but do it legally. And they had some amazing stories to tell. Um, one of the stories that I was not allowed to write about in my first book was how the Nazis actually got to America from Europe. And the CIA said, no, 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 you can't ever write about the Vatican. Uh, I'm an Irish Catholic. And this, well, when they told me I couldn't write about it, it only annoyed me. So as a good lawyer, I found the loophole. We had a young um, uh, British kid who spoke fluent Serbo-Croatian. Now, I knew that the Vatican had actually had a network of Croatian Catholic priests who had set up a rat line, a smuggling system for the British Secret Service. Okay, okay, I have to slow down because like I say, it, you know, it, he's talking really fast. Y'all have to like, he's dropping nuggets like crazy. Like at, earlier when he said we had a boy who could speak Croatian. Oh, yes. Yeah, you know, that's a, that's in like, it has like, like I have an eight, we had an agent, guy on the ground. We had a, you know, we had an undercover. Okay. I'm an Irish Catholic. And this, well, when they told me I couldn't write about it, it only annoyed me. So as a good lawyer, I found the loophole. We had a young um, uh, British kid who spoke fluent Serbo-Croatian. 
You saw the pause before he said young British Yeah, be, kid. yeah because, because he couldn't he couldn't give the actual nationality of this kid because he know this kid could be looked up or yeah, they can narrow it down. Well, I knew so he had to say British. The Vatican had actually had a network of Croatian Catholic priests who had set up a rat line, a smuggling system for the British Secret Service. And so the Nazis would go from Germany to Austria. There was a whole network of convents and monasteries that would take them down to Rome, to the port of Genoa, where ships were chartered to sail them to Australia or Latin America or Canada, eventually to the United States. So my uh, young... Basically an underground railroad for Nazis through the Vatican. ...friend went around with a tape recorder posing as a young Croatian fascist. And these old priests bragged into this tape recorder how the smuggling program had worked. Then I went back to CIA and said, look, they blew the whistle on themselves. You can't stop me now. See what he did? Sent him, sent, sent an agent within the Vatican to get the information that he wanted to spill. So it was, it was lots of fun. We got all sorts of documents declassified and the book became Unholy Trinity. It's about the Vatican, the Nazis, and the Swiss banks. There's still scandals going on. I hope people understand that 99% of the Catholic Church had no involvement with this. This was a small group of right-wing, ultra-conservative Italian clerics. Yeah, fucking right. Um, who uh, disgraced the Catholic Church with uh, their attitudes both during and after the war. So the book was very controversial, but it's been published now in, I guess, 12 or 13 languages. And, uh, I think abroad it's published under the title Ratlines. It was made into a film over here. But that was sort of fun. But, uh, you know, that's two books about Nazis. And, you know, this was kind of interfering with my law practice. And let's face it. Nazi hunting is not exactly a growth industry, is it? I wonder why. I wonder why. But by this time, I had become very friendly with a lot of men and women in the intelligence community. And they had sponsored me to join their retired spy clubs. And I tried very politely to tell them to go away. I just didn't want to do this stuff anymore. That part right there is another part that stuck out to me because like that, I don't think he's being honest here. He says that, okay, these ex-pooks want inviting him to these places and all of this stuff. And, and like, he don't want to do it anymore. What are you talking about, bro? You just started down this road. Like, I don't know. That part right there, he sounds disingenuous right there. And one day one of them said, John, you don't get it. If you think what we did with the Nazis was bad, let us tell you what we did to the Jews. I heard them out and I read their files. And one day I went home and told my wife I was leaving the practice of law. For the rest of my life, I was going to be the lawyer. These men had take a dollar from each of them and help these men and women get their stories told. You see, I believe that one third of the 20th century was classified. It's buried down in those vaults. So as a case study, I asked nearly 500 intelligence agents to tell me every dirty trick we ever pulled on Israel. That would be a nice little book. It ended up to be almost 700 pages. Don't worry, you don't have to read the whole book. Uh, we put bulleted paragraphs at the beginning of each chapter that summarizes it. So you can skim the whole book at 10 or 20 minutes. Wait, let me hit, let me. We did that for the press. Okay, that was another nugget. Um, 
And it's like, okay, so write the book, put those little bullets. They're just going to read the bullets. Put the good stuff in there. You know what I'm saying? Um, well, hold on. I wanted to make a comment and I lost it. What did he say? Fuck. I'm going to just let it play because I forgot. <laughs> but uh, there is a theme to the book, and it's... Um, towards Israel. You know, what's our foreign policy towards Israel? Well, everyone knows. America's on Israel's side. We really are. That's what it was. Yeah. So this is what's interesting about this part of what he has to say is that that I found interesting that I didn't really know because I always felt like the United States was, you know, Israel is, is a little United States. Like they're doing the same thing that the United States did, you know, and they're a little baby United States. So like, and then we're connected to them in a lot of ways. We sell them uh, weapons. I don't know why we give them so much money every year. So, you know, my view of the connection between the United States and Israel is like extreme buddy, buddy, buddy. So this stuff that he's going to say here was a little bit surprising to me. We non-Jews, Republican, Democrat, we consistently keep electing congressmen and senators who support Israel's cause in the Middle East. We send more of our tax dollars to Israel than any other nation on earth. We're not the problem. The problem is that for the better part of the 20th century, our State Department and our intelligence community had a radically different foreign policy. They had said whatever we might say about liking the Jews in public, it really is in America's long-term national interest to obtain the cheap and consistent supply of oil. It's not about conspiracy. It's not about bigotry. It's about oil. It's about greed. If Moses had turned right and settled in Kuwait, we probably would have made Israel the 51st state, but they had no oil. They had no oil, and part of the price that the Arab nations wanted us to pay was to give them intelligence assistance in their wars with Israel. Man, there's so many nuggets up in there, but like my brain is going at a million miles a minute. I can't really even think straight because he's saying he's dropping so much shit. And it's like, okay, so like he said, the State Department didn't like, like, okay, so like our national government, you know, our national image, our national pivot on Israel stands here, but then our CIA, you know, our, you know, infrastructure has a totally different view on Israel. You know what I'm saying? And that's what I was saying earlier is, you know, the, the president changes over and over. These people be the same, you know, over years and years and years. So who you think's agenda is more, li more likely to be successful over time? The, the, the president or some guy who's the boss of the CIA? And sad to say, American intelligence agreed. The bottom line was harsh. In every war that Israel fought, American intelligence fought on the Arab side. We wiretapped Israel's communications. We betrayed them to the Arabs. Um, probably the worst thing we ever did to Israel was the time we did nothing. And that happened in 1973. U.S. codebreakers had deciphered a Russian telegram from their embassy in Lebanon, and that telegram revealed to us the exact hours, dates, time, and place of an upcoming Arab sneak attack against Israel. 
the uh, implication was clear. Israel was about to be crushed under a wave of Arab military. A decision was made in the Nixon White House not to tell the Jews. You see, Henry Kissinger, although he was Jewish himself, was very angry at Israel at the time. Kissinger had been trying to put together a comprehensive Middle East peace solution, you know, keep the Arabs happy so the oil would flow. And the stiff-necked Israelis were whining about picky little details like security. So Kissinger was furious. He agreed that Israel should not be warned until the last hours or two before the attack. And even then, they would have to hold their lines and wait for the Arabs to fire the first shot. Now, the decision to hold information back caused an enormous amount of Israeli casualties. And Kissinger later discussed with one of his friends that the idea was to let Israel, quote, get bloodied a little bit, but come out ahead. Kissinger wanted to slap the wrists of the Israeli leaders so they'd be more cooperative. Now, in addition, Kissinger went to the Secretary of Defense and he asked him to stall off sending any American supplies to Israel for the first seven days of the Yom Kippur War. Why seven days? Israel only had a seven-day battle stock of ammunition. And by the seventh day, uh, Kissinger predicted, the Israeli leaders would be on their knees ready to sign any piece of paper that Kissinger put in front of them, no matter how pro-Arab. But the Arabs would be happy and the oil would flow. Now, Kissinger wasn't a bigot. He wasn't even a particularly evil man. He was just a military incompetent. Kissinger didn't realize that his little pressure games weren't causing Israel to bleed a little bit. He started a hemorrhage that almost destroyed the nation. But luckily, there was one guy in the White House that saved Israel. No, it wasn't Richard Nixon. Don't even get me started on Richard Nixon. <laughs> you know, actually, in my own defense, when I first wrote this book, The Secret War... Wait, are y'all hearing this? Because he, yeah. he, he he jumps back from, like, heavy stuff into light stuff, and then he, he hits you quickly. And so, like, um... Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. I lost it. Fucking, um... I'm over here smoking and drinking and shit. It's Friday night. Woohoo! Um, what did he say? Hold on. He said, uh, I'm sorry, y'all. Let me get this back. Oh, what I wanted to say was, like, what do y'all think about the Ukraine situation? Like, he's explaining how there was, like, a war type thing happening about to happen and CIA had all this information about it and they could have manipulated the outcome and really they did manipulate it still so how many other kinds of like you know situations happen like that around the world do you think do you think the CIA has any influence or you know on this Ukraine situation I'm pretty sure they do bro <clears throat> All of this shit is for gain. And look at how Biden played around with uh, Zelensky. You know, if you get over, what was it? Uh, get rid of such and such and such, we'll give you the billion dollars. Remember that shit? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm just saying, like, listening to this guy talk, it, like I say, my brain goes fucking, like, a month.
like, cause he's dropping nuggets like crazy. And it's like, I think about the behind the scenes because we on the news, of course, we know the narrative is what it is. And, you know, of course it's going to only be a little fraction of what's actually happening, but this guy is giving us a little window into this particular situation. But that makes me think about all the other situations that probably played out similarly. He said they had information of, of an attack that was going to happen and they didn't share that information and it caused a whole bunch of casualties. Yeah. You know, so like how much if, you know, you have an information like that can help you manipulate a situation and, and how an outcome comes out. You know, and you saw how he was talking about how they was using it as as leverage, the information, you know what I'm saying? And, and talking about, I want to make them suffer a little bit so they can be some more submissive. Like, I guess they was trying to be too big in their pants. You know what they say? You know, too, you're too big for your britches. You know, but these are actual people dying. This is not like, you know, somebody getting a whooping or getting spanked. No, this is like, this is warfare and people are dying. Old people, young people, children, babies. You know, so, but they don't look, you know, it's like the way they look at things is, they don't give a fuck. Doc, uh, Pat says, just think of the top spy just happened to become president. Yeah, exactly. And he's gonna... See, he skims over this shit. The connections of who is who, but he's going to talk about that. Let me let this play some more. He's going to talk about the connections with the names a bit, but like the implication of the CIA, like what Pat saying, becoming freaking president. Were released from the National Archives. My favorite Nixon tape is where he turns to a friend of his in the Oval Office and said, you know, if I were to drop an atomic bomb on Tel Aviv, on there would still be American Jews okay. stupid enough to vote. For. Yeah, what are we going for them to put the tow missile? No, I'm saying you. I think you skipped ahead some on it. Oh, I did on purpose, but I wanted to hear them talk. He talks about when he talks about those uh, missiles. That's really important because that's the kind of shit that be happening that don't nobody really. And then the news tell you something different. So I wanted to get that. He was talking about Nixon, and I didn't really want to get that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because he, he wasn't saying nothing on that part. Alexander okay, yeah, Haig. that's cool. On the morning of the first day of the Yom Kippur War, General Haig called his Israeli counterpart and warned him of what Kissinger was up to. No supplies for seven days. It was a catastrophe. And then General Haig told the Israelis a secret. The U.S. Army had just perfected a new top-secret weapon called the Tow Missile. Now, the Tow Missile is a dandy little toy. It's like a Nintendo game. You have these electronic binoculars attached to a cable in the back of the missile. And as the missile flies downrange, it unwinds almost two miles of cable behind it. So as you follow an enemy tank with your binoculars up and down hill and around a tree, you're actually steering the missile up and down hill and around a tree. And a 13-year-old kid can trace runaway enemy tanks at full speed and kill them 97 times out of 100. To this day, the tow missile is one of the deadliest anti-tank systems on the planet. Have you ever even heard of that? 
No. And then he said 97 out of 100. That means that's like accurate as fuck. So how much of this is being used? I saw some clips from Ukraine where some inside of Ukraine where a bunch of tanks was all fucked up. I wonder. Al Haig said he'd give the tow missile to Israel behind Kissinger's back. On the evening of the first day of the Yom Kippur of War, an unmarked plane flew 41 Israeli army commanders to a secret base inside Fort Benning, Georgia. I know about this part of the story firsthand because I was there. You see, I was the young army officer who trained the Israelis in the tow missile system. We rushed the Israelis through a crash course at Fort Benning. Wait, pause. You trained them? Let's play that again. Day of the Yom Kippur War, an unmarked plane flew 41 Israeli army commanders to a secret base inside Fort Benning, Georgia. Israeli army commanders. I know about this part of the story firsthand because I was there. You see, I was the young army officer who trained the Israelis in the... You trained the Israelis? ...tow missile system. In the tow missile system? We rushed the Israelis through a crash course at Fort Benning. And then we stripped every tow missile we had from the eastern seaboard of the U.S. and we flew them to Israel at night. As all of the North later discovered, you can pack a lot of tow missiles into one or two aircraft. And at first we thought the Israelis had screwed up. We wanted them to put the tow missiles at a defensive barrier around the major Israeli cities to save as many lives as possible. And instead, those crazy Jews took all of the tow missiles and dumped them at two spots out in the desert. Pause. Crazy Jews? Are we talking about Israelis? Are we talking about Jews? And they were right. Israeli intelligence knew that the entire Egyptian tank army was about to- I understand, I understand, but just, just, just ask yourself that question. Come roaring up the Sinai for the final assault on Israel. But all of those hundreds and hundreds of Egyptian tanks and armored personnel carriers would have to go through either the Mitla or the Gitla Pass. And when they did, the tow missiles were waiting just in time. They had just arrived a few hours early. It was one of the greatest tank slaughters in modern military history. But to protect Al Haig, the government of Israel told you a cover story. They told you that the Israeli Air Force had blown up all those hundreds of Egyptian tanks. Hmm, that's good shooting. So good, in fact, the American Air Force got jealous. The U.S. government actually sent a team of uh, American officers to Israel to walk the battlefield. But there was a problem. They couldn't find any holes on the tops of the Egyptian tanks. They hadn't been hit from the sky at all. They'd been blown up from the side. That was the first combat deployment of the Thomas. What's up, Doc? What's up, Doc? Had you ever heard any of that before? This is all new to me. The stuff about the tow missile, the stuff about like basically the CIA having a problem with Israel or whatever. And then our gov, like our main government, our executive government being cool with Israel, but then the State Department or, you know, CIA folks not. And then there's a, and you know, I think Trump showed because the CIA motherfuckers, they didn't like Trump, huh? They tried to smash his ass, right? I think that was the first time I noticed that there's a divide between like our main executive government and our like, you know, the CIA or whatever. Because 
with Trump, it seemed like they were attacking him like crazy. It was a bunch of weird shit that was going on, though, because that guy, remember the guy who, who went in front of the Senate talking about Hillary Clinton or whatever? And then later on, they were saying that that's what caused Hillary Clinton to lose and shit because he, he came out talking about all this stuff right before the election and shit. And they were all mad at him and shit. I can't remember his name right now, but that was, he was like the CIA boss. He was a boss over there. He was a boss of the spooks. He was a spook boss. Um, so, but still, as when Trump got in there, though, when he started doing this, that, and the other, you could see how it was internal pressures pushing against stuff that he was doing. And I think that was coming from them, the CIA people and shit. It wasn't feeling what the stuff that Trump was doing. Anybody here? Anybody here? Anybody feeling me, hearing me or whatever? <laughs> Somebody make a comment. Help me. Uh, Pat says they know everything that is going on in Ukraine. I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. And not only do they know what's going on, but because if data information, just like this guy is showing how you can manipulate the situation, not having that data. Because if you have information that they don't have, you know, you can help them or hurt them, whichever side. So then that's also a way to ma manipulate the situation to go in a direction that you want it to go in. That's the point of me playing this video. So this guy is a spook. And then it's like, this is approved information, but it's still top secret, if you will. You know, he's allowed to say this stuff. Um, Pat, I mean, Doc says 45 wanted to get out of other people's countries, bullshit, and make money for America. That's why they CIA NWA didn't like him. Um, yeah, yeah. And a lot of the stuff, because see, look, this is the thing about this. You know, I'd be talking about the private corporations all the time. So what are the interests of the CIA? You know what I'm saying? What are the interests of the CIA? So, and then we talked about the banana wars last week. CIA was all, all up in that. And then you had the military, U.S. military all up in that. So it's like private corporations' interests uh the cia I, uh, this is hey i'm making a fucking theory this is me conspiracy theory i think the cia is like an arm of certain private interests and these private interests have zero or very little to do with the interests of like let's say the american people you know what i'm saying the united states even the government, like it don't have nothing, like, you know, whatever their agendas are is not to benefit the American people or the United States government or anything like that. Y'all get what I'm saying? Yeah, I follow you. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing when I heard him talking about this shit, when he dropped that Jew about Israel. <sighs> Yeah, what are you saying? Go ahead. I need to rest my voice. I was just saying how he dropped the Jew about Israel, how the CIA had that issue with Israel. But they lead you to believe that the U.S. backs Israel and this and that. But right. Yeah. Right. 
But see, that's what's surprising about this video. And that's why I wanted to play it today because I didn't know that. And I really had no idea. I always thought that the United States was just, you know, we love Israel. We love, you know, and then we don't like, I always felt like, you know, I mean, I, besides my history, the stuff that I've learned, but I always felt like, you know, the United States didn't like Nazis. We're cool with the Jews. You know what I'm saying? We're cool with Israel. You know what I'm saying? That's the way I see it. You know what I'm saying? Overall. But this guy is saying something different, but it also has to do with the divide of the CIA versus our government. Because I don't, you know, in your mind, you want to think that like the CIA and the government should be working together, right? Shouldn't they be having the same agendas, right? Isn't the CIA a department of the government? So we think. Uh, let me read the comments. Pat says, "When every branch of government has a problem with a president, means that means to me that he is not an agent." And I think that's true about uh, Trump, because you know, love him or hate him, you know, them hating him or giving him a hard time just shows that he was trying to do something. You know what I'm saying? And I think that like Trump had Trump had Trump is a complicated person. Like he, you know, he had his private interests, of course, looking out for his friends and family and buddies and cronies. But he also had his little pet projects and stuff that he really did care about. Stuff that was related to the American, you know, you know, being in the United States, you know, stuff that he really cared about that he really wanted to try to help with, being that he was president. Like, you know, okay, yeah, I'm gonna look out for my niggas. I got y'all. But it's a couple things I would like to do while I'm in here. And the State Department is like, nigga, hell no. Nah. No, stop. Uh, Doc says, CIA mandate is to promote American democracy supremacy, restrict the spread of communism, China, Russia, and control the opium trade in the Middle East to finance American black book assets. Hmm. Mm, I have to think about that a bit because that comment is saying that the CIA and the United States government is on the same boat with everything. And what this guy is saying, this clearly they, they aren't. And also, I think Trump was an example that they clearly they aren't. Not on all topics, not on all subjects. I think in some areas, they divert. And it may be a lot of areas. Like, we don't even know. Because, like I say, this guy is telling me stuff I never heard before. Doc says he was trying to make a change, agree with his ideas of change, or or my similar agendas, different approaches. Hmm. I don't know. But then the argument is, you know, what I always be saying is, how can you separate the corporations from the government anyways? Sometimes, where's the line? Where is the line? It's a revolving door. They get off of work as a senator, and next year they work for Nestle or ExxonMobil. So, fuck. Last year I was a congressman. Next year I'm... And then the year after that, I become a lobbyist for, for, for one of the corporations. So it's like, you know, like I say, revolving door. The, there's, a, there's, a, there's a gray area where you separate the corporations from government, especially the way it's set up right now. But... 
this CIA thing, as far as from what this guy is saying, because he helped me realize some things after I watched this video, because I started thinking about Trump more and more and more, and how in the news and how in the media they was mashing on him, making fun of him and saying he's dumb, he's stupid, Kofifi, and all of this shit. And I, I feel like that was the CIA, really. You know what I'm saying? I feel like that was, you know what I'm saying? You know, the United States within itself attacking itself, you know, because the interest of Trump was not in uh, aligning with their interests trying to export because we was just played the Bernie Sanders clips earlier with the companies moving, the, they're making microchips and they're exporting the production outside of the United States and making all of this fucking money and all of this bullshit. Trump was like, fuck that. Trump was like, no, hell no. Y'all need to pay these people here. Stop fucking fucking do it. That's bullshit. That was one of the things he was saying. So I think that being that what my conspiracy theory I was saying earlier, where the CIA is looking out for the corporations more, the corporations make more money by sending the stuff, sending the manufacturing overseas. Um, so the CIA is looking out for that. Trump is like, nah, bring back the manufacturing over here. CIA says, Trump, you're stupid. Make all the media about him being a dumbass. Uh, Doc says, remember, CIA technically has absolutely no jurisdiction or ability to work independently within borders of the U.S. I, I'm sure that's true, but I'm also sure that the CIA don't give a damn about what's legal and what's not. They're working with fucking secret, top secret, fucking spy, double spy shit. Ain't no law in this. Pat says, at some point, the U.S. didn't like Nazis, but in recent years, they have media have made alliances with terrorists. I don't think it's recent years, Pat. And that's what this guy is talking about. He's talking about some shit that happened way back in World War II. That's a pretty good number of years ago. Doc says, I think the CIA has become an extension of the NWO and less an American thing. Okay, the new world order. Yes. Okay, Doc. So now we're all, now we're speaking the same language because I think you're right. Because like I say, end game is in play right now. The pinch is in play right now. You know what I'm saying? So new world order, CIA, that sounds like them two would go together. Let me play some more. And I tell that story to illustrate that sometimes American Jews don't know who your friends are and who your enemies are. One of the old spies said that Henry Kissinger should be compelled to change his religious affiliation from Jewish to self-promotion. <laughs> that may be a bit unfair to poor Henry, who was, after all, only following a consistent American diplomatic policy of siding with the Arabs. Okay, again, he snuck in a little nugget friends are and who your enemies are. One of the old spies said that Henry Kissinger should be compelled to change his religious affiliation from Jewish to self-promotion. So, again, that's a little sneaky little nugget right there. And I really hope people can understand how somebody can just take up a costume and pretend to be something so that they can get the privileges of that thing. Or put on a costume, pretend to be something to avoid persecution or 
avoid the consequences of their actions even. I'm trying to be careful with my words, but hopefully y'all hear me. Pets, uh, Doc says we're still solidly in the mid game. Pat says 40, 50 years are recent years. I guess, I guess, I guess, Pat. I guess, Pat. That's the numbers. That may be a bit unfair to poor Henry, who is, after all, only following a consistent American diplomatic policy of siding with the Arabs. In the long run, it was about money. There's uh, a few pages in my book, The Secret War Against the Jews, that talked about an unusual banking system some of my intelligence friends had stumbled across. I'm going to break a major news story today with you. It Wait, there was a line from Immortal Technique in one of his songs, and he said basically every American United States president is a money launderer. And that line, I like he in that song, it didn't even rhyme with nothing. Like it was <laughs> like he literally just just wedged that into the song. But that line fucking ring in my head. And I like think about it, you know, money launderer. He says every American president is basically a money launderer. What the fuck is a mortal technique talking about? I'm like thinking about this shit, thinking about it and thinking about it. So that shit took me down some rabbit holes, but he's finna explain some of that right here. So like the uh, the name of this book that he's talking about is the book he wrote, Unholy Trinity, the Vatican, the Nazis, and the Swiss banks. So it's the banks is a big is a is a big part of this whole thing. Look up something a bag check, kind of like oh, yeah. cars reference. It's yeah, a precursor. I, I should. It's I should put the. You say uh, you look that shit up. That's the name of your. I mean, your show. Yeah, you, that, right. That's what really drew me in. It seems that during World War II, the leading Nazi industrialists secretly owned a bank in New York City. That bank was dissolved in 19.